Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2021, is once again that time of the month wherein we do our special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I, of course, have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Uh, it's going excellent. Glad to be here, ready to talk about some movies from my shelf. And uh, glad to be once again doing a, a video element to the show as well. This is very exciting. Yeah, this will be only the second time we'll be doing video and catching up on cinema. And this is a big fucking deal. So get yeah. hype. I'm hyped. <laughs> um, I'm hyped. Do I not look hyped? I mean, Brad, you're always hype. I mean, <laughs> if you get any more hype, we could have some serious problems. <laughs> but um, Brad, would you like to tell the folks at home uh, what our theme for this month is going to be? Well, you know, we decided to uh, go with something a little different than we've done before. We had the idea of just going with, with a specific letter of the alphabet and just kind of highlighting uh, some movies that we have that are that specific letter. Start with that letter. Um, and I kind of was like, oh, well, uh, do you want to start with A? And you were like, well, of course we're going to start. You, you were like, are you crazy? <laughs> of course we're going to start with A. So we're highlighting the letter A in our collection. And uh, hopefully we will have... Uh, I would assume 26 more of these, maybe 27 if we uh, go with a numerical entry as well. Could happen. Yeah, there, there are some subtleties when it comes to alphabetizing things. Like, for instance, the word ah or uh, uh I wasn't sure if you wanted to count that. Brad. We might have to get into this. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you, I think I've seen parts of your shelf close up enough to notice that I don't think you, you treat ah as as the first letter of a film. Yeah. Um, I'm... I, don't do things that way. Uh, some we may have some disputes here, folks. We could have some fireworks. Oh uh, but yeah, uh, today we're going to be trying our our damnedest to do all the A's. Uh, and what I what I meant by uh, of course we're going to be doing A was uh, I was thinking along the lines of the old lady from Seinfeld who would who was kind enough to not refuse the pie. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm not a psycho. <laughs> it's like no, she refused verbally. She didn't mm -hmm. just shake her head because she is not a psycho, and nor are Brad and I, which is why we are starting our alphabetical review with the letter A <laughs> in a very organized fashion. And the great thing with this is even if we continue doing a letter every single week, which we're not going to do it every single time, or every single month, excuse me, which we're not going to do it, I don't think, every single month, like we'll have other themes, but even if we did it every single month, that's 26 months, maybe even 27 and, you know, by then, you get right back around to A. You've already you bought a ton of new movies that start with the letter A. You can just keep going through that loop, baby. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we'll, we'll never run out of ideas, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but, yeah, uh, as is customary, I'm going to throw Brad under the bus and ask him to go first. Uh, I, f I find that when it comes to organizing the format of the show, Brad Brad's just a good front man. He just, he's, he's the best guy to put out on the stage first. Um, so yeah, Brad, you have the honor. Uh, would you give us our first A? Well, let me start with a, a movie that uh, I, you know, when we, I heard we were gonna do the A thing, I was like, I should watch, re watch or rewatch some of these movies that start with an A. And of course, I ran out of time and I didn't. But the one that I wanted to rewatch because I also just really want to rewatch it, um, and I, I unfortunately I didn't. Uh, but it is starts with the letter A. It is Audition, directed by Takashi Miike. Is that how you would say his name? Uh, there's two two E's in there, so Miike. Miike, Takashi Miike. 
And now I will say, full disclosure, this is the gross version on disc. This is the uh, Shout Factory edition. Nothing against Shout Factory, but this edition from 2009. It is quite old. This was, I believe, before they even had their Scream Factory label. Um, So this is an old disc. It is now uh, on Arrow. You can get an Arrow Blu-ray. I did go on Blu-ray.com. It does sound like the picture quality is marginally better, but, you know, it is kind of like just like a soft-looking film in general, so it's not like, you know, they weren't, like, completely blown away by it, and I don't know about, like, special feature-wise. I'm sure there's new stuff on the Arrow disc. But either way, uh, I've got... I'm not going to say I love this movie, but it's the kind of movie that I it just begs a rewatch. And I, I guess I don't totally know why, because you always remember the ending, I feel like. But I kind of always get fuzzy on the details leading up to it. Like, I know the basic plot, um, but there's just every so often I'm just like, I really should watch Audition again. Because every time I don't love it, but I'm like, I feel like this will be the time that I do love it. Because... In terms of just like the broad strokes of the film and what it's about, I think uh, I, I love the setup and everything and how if you go into it now, obviously I knew what the movie was about the first time I watched it. But I feel like going into this movie completely blind would have been absolutely amazing, which I mean, I can't even imagine how you would go from like the start of the film to where it ends up would have been just like the biggest roller coaster of all time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of uh, Takashi Miike's films, but uh, this one, I mean, out of, like, the two or three that I've seen, I would say is probably my favorite of his. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a, a really solid film that gets uh, gets into some really uncomfortable uh, situations and places. Oh, yeah, it is very much a film of two halves. But uh, Takashi Miike is a very interesting director, very very fascinating fella. Uh, just, just his path uh, through through the profession has been like it's it's kind of like a James Gunn I guess where James Gunn of course started with trauma films and then is now directing Marvel blockbusters and now Warner Brothers blockbusters you know beginning with the Su- the suicide squad um but yeah Takashi Miike's path was kind of similar to that although uh more protracted like it was stretched out over a, a greater length of time he didn't make that leap as seamlessly or as quickly as james gunn did uh to to mainstream film that is but uh he he's a massively prolific director like like back in the day he was cranking out like two three movies a year oh yeah like, yeah it was nuts um and it was all like very racy like a lot of stuff that was targeted more for like direct-to-video audiences a lot of extreme stuff a lot of stuff that got um published under the Tokyo Shock label um, back in the day on D- on DVD. <laughs> um, but but what's funny is uh, to complete the parallel between him and James Gunn is that these days, like, he's kind of, like, the guy uh, when it comes to, like, ultra-high budget by, by Japanese standards, like, blockbuster filmmaking. Like, he's the guy that's doing, like, the Michael Bay-type movies and stuff. Okay. Um, but you would never, you would never have expected that based on where he began. Um, but the, the one thing that's especially noteworthy about him is that even when he was doing quote trashy movies and stuff, very talented director. In fact, uh, those, uh, dead or alive movies he did about like Yakuza, like cops and robbers type movies. Uh, the first one has that amazing, like opening five minutes. I don't know. Have you ever seen that Brad? No, I haven't. No. Um, even if you don't see the movie, just, just if you're interested in, in the power of film editing, 
like check out the first five minutes and like just imagine yourself back in like the late 90s and you're watching mtv or something it's like they they just threw the the movie into a fucking wood chipper and it came out as a work of art like (laughs) miraculously (laughs) um but famously i guess like that sequence on the written page like in the script that he was working from was just nothing it was just like some people get shot (laughs) but then he he as a director like put his stamp on that and like really transformed it into something but yeah auditions a really solid movie like really good um we actually reviewed it for catching up on cinema a long time ago oh really yeah it's to date i think it's the only uh episode where we reviewed two movies in one sitting oh wow How, how long that must have been a while ago i gotta go back and listen to that i can't remember exactly how long ago it was but it was a highway to hell uh, which stars Rob Lowe's brother. Um, I, I didn't know he had a brother at the time, but he has a brother. He's not as handsome. Um, and uh, and yeah, the other half of that was audition. And we both Kyle and I had a really grand old time with it. Like I, I, I think there's a lot of really amazing subtleties uh, in mm-hmm. the characterization and in the in that first half that, like you said, probably gets overlooked by a lot of folks. Yeah, because there's a, like a lot of subtleties exploring like themes of like gender roles and just like i don't know like modern living and like some of the alienation that occurs when when it comes between like gender interactions and things like that like there's there's some really like subtly but also simultaneously like really ugly misogyny in there that's like yeah uh, the way the movie's lensed even like some of the shots like i could totally see somebody walking into it and thinking like oh this is sleazy it's like pay attention to what they're doing it, it's intentional they are trying mm-hmm. to offend you but pay attention to who who are framing characters are and how the the lady characters are viewed in the film yeah i mean just even the whole concept of it of this guy auditioning women and you know to be his wife essentially is just like a misogynistic idea and obviously that's intentional and uh you know i it's been a while since i've seen the film and obviously by the end of the movie the guy is you know definitely a victim in a lot of ways, but you know, I think it starts off where he is kind of, we look at him as like a wholesome kind of guy. Like I think the guy is pretty likable, but what he is doing is pretty gross when you think about it, like just auditioning these women to be his, you know, romantic partner um, without them knowing about it, I guess, like trying to hide it from them. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot to dig into in those uh, dynamics. Yeah, no, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and and like you said, not like now that you've brought it up, I I do find myself thinking about it from time to time and being like, huh, I I would probably get a lot from a rewatch of that one. Uh, so as as many films as he has, like that I haven't seen because I actually haven't seen that many of his movies, of which there's probably a hundred by now. Um, he's pushing. He's getting to like Jackie Chan numbers these days. Oh, it's uh, insane. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I, I would probably opt to just rewatch that one, like above checking out one of his new ones. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's a good movie, uh, folks yeah. at home. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Comes with a little uh, booklet in the, uh, and I, that's I love the sack. The sack's got to be like my. Fa- that's my favorite part of the movie. That's amazing. Yeah, the sound editing on that part is is pretty <sighs> brilliant. Like they they really uh, they really like did some fully shit like right into the microphone it's like whoa <laughs> shit um but yeah actually now that you mention it the uh uh the ability to see that movie blind i i don't know how many people that are 
that would be interested in seeing that movie have like have the privilege of being able to actually see it blind i mean you might have watched it more recently than me i mean the first little bit of the film there's no real indication that it's gonna go to where it goes i mean it's like you're you're pretty good amount into the film when like shit really starts hitting the fan in a weird way right yeah i mean there's some like suspicious elements that crop up but nothing nothing to that degree i can't remember when uh when the shot of her alone in her apartment happens, but that that's a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> ah man, I really want to watch this movie again. <laughs> well, leave leave it out. I mean, you have it off the shelf now. You, you're only like two steps away from popping it into the player, so just leave it on the coffee table or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I suppose the ball is to me, and damn, that's a hard act to follow. Shit. I got to start strong, man. Got to start strong. Yeah, that you did. You. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, because oh. I, I noticed uh, that I have a director and an actor whom I own a shockingly large number of A movies for. Uh, so two different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to, because you talked about a Japanese director, uh, I will bring up a Japanese director who we've we've uh, talked about on Catching Up on Cinema before many times, uh, especially with you, Brad. Um but uh, and also he's a contemporary, I believe, with Takashi Miike. He might be a little younger, but he was like the bulk of his filmography started coming out around the time Miike was getting traction, uh, and that would be Ryuhei Kitamura, uh, who, of course, I think his fe- his debut feature I think was Versus, um, which we did a full episode of on catching up on cinema. Uh, I've brought him up countless times because I was kind of obsessed with this guy when I was like. 14 which is the right time to be obsessed with this guy because i don't think he's talented in the traditional sense Uh, he is very much a style over substance type director and only problem is his style never really evolved past the year 2000 on the nose Uh, so a lot of his movies if you go back to them like they come across as a little antiquated and silly where it's like that's not really how we do action scenes anymore. Like, you know, the matrix was a long time ago. Like, like bullet time was novel at the time, but not anymore. So anyway, yeah. uh, I, the reason why I say I'm going to cheat is because I have three movies, not just one, but they all begin with the letter a, and they're all from the same director. So I may fair as well game. do it all in one go. Uh, so I have a bootleg of alive which is on dvd which of course makes a uh, brad gag and uh, sick to his <laughs> stomach uh, folks at home if you're not aware brad has a allergy uh, to the dvd format now but is that available on blu-ray like can you get that on blu-ray maybe japanese blu-ray i don't think in this country see i'll i'll give you a pass that's okay that's yeah. you know okay okay so if, if there's an easy upgrade for you and we're showing off a dvd then that's where i'm gonna have some issues here but. okay well if you, if you feel the need to spew uh I, I don't have a paper cup but spew into this <laughs> i got a bucket over here i got a bucket <laughs> okay or turn off your webcam or something we, we, you know, we don't want to upset our audience but yeah um i also have aragami which is not a bootleg uh, in fact <laughs> this is a tokyo shock disc <laughs> of course it nice. is uh and I also have Azumi, which is a bootleg. Uh, and it may actually be available on Blu-ray. So, Brad, hold your spew. But, um, yeah, uh, I think Alive is probably the the least of these films. Um, it's a, 
it's got a decent cast. In fact, it has some, a, one thing that was kind of fun uh, that made him kind of like a Sam Raimi esque director of the to- of like the two thousands, the early two thousands. Was that uh, much like Sam Raimi? He has a lot of familiar faces that crop up in his movies. Like Sam and Ted are kind of a package deal. Um, and if you're lucky, you get Bruce Campbell at least in a cameo or something. Um, and Kitamura was kind of the same way, where he had uh, uh, Tuck was it Sakaguchi. Uh, who these days is like at the top tier of like action, like martial arts cinema in Japan. Uh, he has a wonderful YouTube channel where he just like goes to restaurants and guzzles ramen uh, and then goes and spars with athletes. It, it's nice. a bizarre combination of things. And he has this little <laughs> like uh, ninja teddy bear sock puppet that hangs out with him. <laughs> it's bizarre, but, but uh, he went from doing, you know, shitty no budget movies in the woods with his friends, a la Evil Dead, to doing that on YouTube and being in movies like Reborn, which you can find on Shudder, which mm. is kind of yeah. like top end of like Japanese martial arts cinema in the 2020s. But uh, Sakaguchi was in Versus. He's in uh, Alive. Um, but this is actually, uh, they did a re- role reversal where Sakaguchi usually played like the hero in uh, Kitamura's films. But for this one, uh, they made him the villain and then they made the villain of Versus the hero in this one. It's like okay. Hideo Sakaki, uh, who's popped up in, I think he's, I think he's also in Azumi in a small role, but uh, also it says Koyuki, uh, who you might know from um, The Last Samurai. I think she mm. was the female lead in that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's based on a manga. It has like a sci-fi bent to it. Uh, it's a bottle drama on top of being a sci-fi action film, which is kind of appealing to me. I like, I like bottle dramas. I like one location type movies. And similarly, Aragami uh, was part of a really cool uh, like filmmaking project where I don't remember the name of the other director, but it was uh, Kitamura and I think a female director who they did something called the Dual Project. And I love shit like this, where it's like it was like a publicly disclosed like art project, basically involving short films. And actually, I think they blew them up to features. But basically, it was like can only have two or three characters has to take place in one location and has to have has to center around a duel. So uh, Kitamura made Aragami, which is about like a immortal like demon that's just hanging out in a shrine. And then two samurai show up after like surviving a battle, and he repeatedly restores the one back to life so he can fight him to the death. He's like, buddy, I got nothing to do. I got nothing but time. Be a bud and just like kill me. But like. You got to do it right. Like, you got to, like, for real kill me. I can't just let you kill me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not how this works. Uh, so the whole movie is just cut. It, like, plays out in a series of, like, rounds, almost like like a boxing match or something where they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight. Our, our hero gets gravely injured. Uh, he takes a break. He takes a breather. The demon, like, ushers him back to his feet. And then they fight, they fight, they fight. And then they get to know each other via dialogue. In That's a cool premise. That's pretty cool. I haven't seen the other side of that project, but the other movie I think is called Two LDK, and it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds, yeah. it sounds probably. I think it's supposed to be the better movie actually. I don't remember who directed it, but it's a uh, two young women who share a, a very small apartment together, and over the course of the film, it's like it's again like one location film. Uh, I think they discover that their lives are intertwined, and like the one is like banging the one's dude, and I they love go that. at it. 
they go oh. at it like physically and they like trash the apartment in the over the course of the movie. It sounds pretty fucking awesome. That is cool. <laughs> I love I I love that you know just the like two different directors taking the same kind of basic you know setup. That's like Project Greenlight, man. I heard they're doing a new season of that. I'm hyped. Love oh, Project wow. Greenlight. Yeah. You know, I never watched that, but on a conceptual level, I always thought it sounded great. Yeah, it's great. It's it's a lot of, I mean, it, you know, it's like trashy reality TV, but it is a lot of fun. Well, case in point, the only Project Greenlight movie I know for a fact I did see was Feast, which mm-hmm. is not highbrow cinema. No, no. <laughs> uh, but I do give them points. They did kill the kid, which is something I, I would like them to do in movies more often, especially horror, where it's like, dude, Kids die too, like every fucking day. Like they shouldn't be off limits, <laughs> especially when monsters are involved. Jesus, do I, got any, do I got any kid death movies over here? I can. Uh... I'm going to be very disappointed, Brad, <laughs> if you don't uh... have any child death in your stack of A's. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, yeah, last movie is Azumi, and it's actually probably objectively the best movie of the ones I just mentioned. Um, it's also probably one of the higher budgeted movies that he's made funny enough he's made some american films um in the like beyond the mid 2000s he started migrating over here and in fact uh, it seems like he's more interested in working in the american film market especially in the horror genre um straight up horror like he he showed a proclivity for a shoehorning matrix style like protracted fist fights into his movies case in point midnight meat train which have you seen that, Brad? I have. That's one Bradley Cooper's in that, right? Yeah. A, that is baby Bradley Cooper and uh, not baby Vinnie Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's based on a Clive Barker story, apparently. Probably not a very good one. Uh, but yeah, th- for whatever reason, our, our lovely Japanese director decided, you know what would make this horror movie better? If we had a big old fist fight in the pile of bones at the end, it's like he's a rugby rugby player. He's from Philly. They could probably do something good. <laughs> <laughs> but he, because of his instincts to to throw his quote like horror movies into that into that area, it's like I don't think he's terribly interested in scaring people. But um, he did some other American horror movie uh, involved like a, a sniper in the American like like west or something like okay it was like a bunch of teenagers their car breaks down and they're pinned down by like some redneck sniper or something not uh not wolf creek is it no no no, it wasn't wolf creek but um that was the premise i couldn't tell you the title and i'm too lazy to fucking google it but um but yeah uh there was a chunk of my life where i was really up on this guy um it seemed like the japanese film industry really turned their back on him when uh, godzilla final wars from 2004 uh, didn't do very well and also happened to be the most expensive Godzilla movie at the time. Uh, that's a deadly combination <laughs> when you're dealing with a genre that thrives on, you know, low investment, high return. Uh, didn't exactly work out. And then his career kind of seemed to slow to a crawl at that point. So I, I check in on him every once in a while, but uh, I don't know. I, I think the moment has passed. Although, there was that Ruby Rose movie uh, from like last year that I think was also directed by him. I think it was her and Morgan Freeman. It's like The Doorman, I think. Yeah, I was just looking at his uh, filmography. Yeah, The yeah, Doorman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I see that at a red box someday, I'm going to rent that just because, you know, it, it looked fun enough, but it also didn't really look like his his movie, you know? Like it just looked like a work for hire kind of thing. Definitely a Lionsgate cover. Definitely, yeah. 
if ever there was a Lionsgate cover. <laughs> Uh, yep. But yeah, that, that's enough out of me, Brad. Uh, the ball is to you, sir. What you got? Well, I was going to highlight one, you know, since I started with Audition, I, I was going to switch to one that was non-horror, because um, I do have, yeah, I got quite a few horror ones here. But uh, in all honesty, this might be the most horror title of them all, even though it's not uh, a horror movie. It might be the most horrific. And I don't know if I talked about this uh, with you on any of these other episodes, but it is... Uh, filmed by Joshua Oppenheimer. It is The Act of Killing. Now, this is a uh, documentary. Now, let me uh, try and quickly read the uh, back of this box so I can make sure I get the country right. I want to say it's Indonesia. I could be wrong. But basically, it it follows uh, the director, Joshua Oppenheimer, is filming these former, I think, Indonesian death squad leaders who were responsible for killing hundreds of upon thousands of people back in the day. And I don't know enough about the event of what was going on, but basically these guys were death squad leaders, killed tons of people. And they're basically just, you know, no consequences for what they did. They're just, you know, they're old men now just living the life in their country. And he basically convinces these former death squad leaders to reenact their killings doing it under the guise of like classic cinema so he'll have them like film a they'll dress up as like classic like gangsters from a noir film and basically reenact some of the horrific murders they did under the you know the guise that oh we're gonna have you do it in terms of like a hollywood movie and he basically it just goes to show how like just un like caring like these guys have no regrets about what they did and they're laughing they're having a good time like they love movies they're just having a good time recreating this stuff and no like no thought going into like the fact that they've just murdered thousands of people and it's really powerful stuff like it's a really interesting uh setup to get at you know a story that like i i still don't know a ton about the real life events that happened but it's instead of just having a documentary about these death squad leaders and just, you know, having it in a kind of dry way, doing it in this really creative way really gets uh, at kind of a more powerful uh, message than if you were just presenting the information just straight up. And not to spoil the ending, but the ending got to be one of my favorite, doc- at least documentary endings of all time. So uh, the main death squad leader. We uh, follow him up to a rooftop where they had previously been, and he'd talked about, oh, yeah, I would cut this guy's throat over here. We beheaded people over there. And they go back up onto this rooftop, and I forget why they go back up there, but the guy just starts just dry heaving, just retching, just like, like it's like five minutes of him just like trying to puke. And it's like just whether it's this or not, it's very symbolic of like maybe like deep down there, that regret is there and it's finally regurgitating to the surface. Maybe he just had a bad burrito or something. Who knows? But it's a perfect ending to the movie. And it, it's one of my favorite endings to a doc of all time. It is amazing. Like if you want to watch somebody dry heave for five minutes, you got to watch the act of killing. Um, definitely one of my favorite documentaries. There's actually two versions on this disc. Uh, there is a director's cut and a theatrical cut. I don't think I've watched the director's cut. It is very long. It's almost three hours. Um, but it's uh, it's an awesome film. It is uh, produced by uh, Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, so it's got some good names attached to it. 
And uh, there is a follow-up film. It's called, uh, I want to say it's The Look of Silence or something. And uh, that one, I, I like that one not quite as much as this one, but it was a, a very good film as well. Um, so, yeah, this is, a you know, not, it, like I said, it's maybe one of the most horrific films I own, but it is a, a, a really great watch. No, it sounds like very powerful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, just on a conceptual level, it's like, wow, there's there's a lot to be learned from this, uh, just about the, the human condition um, in other parts of the world in different, part, in different times. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, my, my knowledge of of like Indonesian history post-World War II and stuff is not exactly that deep, but I, I could throw out the name of a couple of dictators uh, that I'm aware of. I think Sukarno and Suharto were, uh, I, th- I think those were two of them, but yeah, really, really ugly stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I, I you have actually brought this one up before. I think what, like on one of the earliest episodes of Tales, Tales from the Shelf uh, <laughs> that we've done. Yeah. Um, but this is part of the appeal of having the video format be introduced uh, because it, it's almost like revisiting the thing all over again. This way, the folks at home actually get to see the damn thing. Clear case. Ooh, beautiful. <laughs> I believe you got a big, a nice, uh, nice booklet in here. Really just great stuff. You got some pictures and words. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah re- <laughs> oh, really awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Draft House put out the uh the Blu-ray Draft House films. So, oh wow, I only have one of their discs. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm very very happy with it. It's uh the World of Kanako. Um, nice. And it's the only disc of theirs I have. But I've, I I'm very very happy with how it turned out. But uh, who was the director of that one again? Uh, Joshua Oppenheimer is his name. Uh, do you know anything else he's done? Other than the follow up, I don't think so i i can't i don't think i've heard of him doing anything since that follow-up film um but it is definitely a good back-to-back watching both the the follow-up is basically um if i'm remembering correctly it's like a person who was a young child at the time of those uh massacres him or maybe his parents were killed or something like that where he was directly affected he's like a survivor of it and he goes around and confronts some of these people. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have quite have, like, the high concept of this one, but it's made, in a lot of ways it's a little more, like, subtly powerful. But it's uh, it's it's good. Yeah, I would definitely recommend both of them. Okay. Yeah, I, I would very much like to check out both of those. Uh, they, sound, they sound gripping, uh, mm-hmm. but especially especially that first one, honestly. Like, the, yeah. just the, I don't know, the just the idea of these people recreating these awful things that they've done. It's, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a macabre version of be kind rewind or something a little bit. Yeah. 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 So, Uh, well, uh, I suppose the ball is to me, but before I get to that, I'm going to crack this open. So this folks, is that what I think it is? Is a key way. As oh. brought to you by Scott Atkins and Marcos Aurora. So, <laughs> energy brought to you by Patagonian Herbs. <laughs> that looks refreshing. I love that can. It tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it tastes kind of like a Red Bull or something. Okay, okay. Like like uh, melted Jolly Ranchers with some medicine or something. Yeah. Ah, but going to be going to be hype. Going to be hype. Uh, so I'm um, going to... 
I'm gonna follow your lead as I as I always do, Brad. Um, so you did a documentary, uh, so it's only fair that I do a documentary. Uh, although this one is, it's serious, but it's not as deathly uh, serious as yours was. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be American Movie on DVD. Um, and this is from Sony Pictures Classics. I gotta say, before you get into it, this one is a movie I have not seen, but it's been on like the top of my watch list for like years, and I've just never gotten around to it. Oh, it's it's a uh, it's wonderful. Uh, these two fellows on the cover are from Wisconsin, um, and special features on the back. It is a DVD, but. Um, it actually does include uh, his short film, uh, the the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Borchart. Mark Borchart. Uh, it does include his short film, Coven, which is of course pronounced Coven because Coven would be like oven, man. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is is immensely quotable. Um, at times, it does get very depressing because uh, our heroes are from a certain end of the socioeconomic spectrum, uh, the depressing end, <laughs> um, and uh, their life choices are not not exceptional. And uh, it's it's surreal to, to watch a professional documentary crew follow a wannabe filmmaker around. Uh, it, it's, it's a surreal exercise that we're going through throughout the whole film, but th- this film is amazing. Um, I, I have a fascination with films about filmmaking, um, and this this is one of those movies that like right along with like Ed Wood or something I, I put it on when I'm in the mood for like inspiration because even though those movies have their their dark moments at the end of the day they're they're about dreamers they're about not like kind of wrong-headed people honestly um, that just kind of barrel ahead anyway consequences be damned to just do the things that they want to do even if it even if it will cause the world bearing down on them to just like utterly crush them in the end. But they say, fuck it, they just do it. Um, and Mark Borchart is such a character. His his best buddy, Mike Shank, uh, he's he's incredible. He has fried his brain. Uh, Mike Mike Shank is the uh, husky gentleman with the... He looks he looks like... Uh, help me out here, Brad. Um, porn star. <laughs> oh, uh, Ron Jeremy? Thank you. <laughs> he, he looks like Ron Jeremy, but he doesn't talk like him. Yeah. He talks like this? Oh, hey, Brad. Uh, thanks for having me on Tales from the Shelf. Uh, it's really great talking about DVDs with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's literally what he sounds like. He's a beautiful human being, but his brain has been completely fried by any number of drugs. Mostly acid. <laughs> and he has a wonderful story about it, too. Probably about the day that his his frontal lobe ceased to exist. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Brad, you you need to see this movie. Uh, you should own a copy of it just because your appreciation for film and it's it's really well cut together. Um, and it's just about you know the the trials and tribulations of a guy who probably should focus more on getting his affairs in order rather than you know achieving his dream of making a, a film. Um, but he, he knows what he wants and it's, it's not necessarily what's good for him. But part of what's kind of shocking too, is that while, while I make it sound like, like he's terrible and like he's totally untalented and he, he shouldn't be anywhere near a camera. He's actually not half bad. Like, I think he did go to like community college for four, 
filmmaking. He, mm-hmm. for fuck's sake, the, the the time period in which this movie was made is is probably one of the most depressing aspects of it, uh, because I believe it was shot in the '90s, like the first half of the '90s. Uh, that's what the clothes tell me, anyway. So, Brad, think about it this way: you have a guy who's trying desperately to make a short film. He's shooting it on eight millimeter. And he's using the college resources to to by hand cut and tape his like stitch his literally stitch his film together with the help of like his mom and and neighborhood friends and stuff overnight at the college, mind you, not yeah. like like resources that he has to like rent time out for and stuff. Imagine if this same guy was born ten years later. Be a little bit easier on him. It'd be a lot easier. Like yeah. all, all the things he would have wanted to do would have been so much easier. He he wouldn't have had to go so far into debt. He wouldn't have had to like waste all these producers' monies and and things like that. Like his his world would have been a happier place probably if he was just born ten years later. But uh yeah, I uh, I can't recommend this movie enough. It's it's so fucking quotable too. Just just like any any time I hear the word oven or or I mean, it doesn't come up in conversation very often, but Coven, like it's a, actually it's Coven. <laughs> it's pronounced Coven because like Coven would be like oven, man. <laughs> you just got to ask people what is their least favorite season of American Horror Story. And that could be a good way to get people to say Coven. <laughs> Don't you mean Coven? <laughs> uh, is that show any good, Brad? Um, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like fun in a trashy way if you want like really over the top performances, but it is, it's no, it's not very good. Okay. Well, but, um, uh, yeah. this is directed by Chris Smith, by the way. Uh, and he's been actually, it. uh, doing a lot of stuff. I don't know if you followed him at all. He's been doing a lot of stuff lately. Um, he did the fire festival documentary on Netflix. Oh, he did. Yeah. And he I did think one- I watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Which yeah. I, I liked. I thought it was. I thought it was good. It it's definitely fine. Had... Like it's not super in depth, but it's a serviceable documentary. Yeah, and he also had. Um, he did another Netflix doc. He, I think he did like a true crime Netflix doc too. So he's good. He's been getting solid work. I mean, if you're in Netflix's pocket making docs and true crime series these days, I mean, you can't really complain about that as a, as a filmmaker. So. Wow. Well, that makes me happy because yeah. uh, one thing that needs to be said about the movie is that it is well cut together. Like it's it's an entertaining watch. It's not just that we have these cartoon characters to watch the whole time. It's like it's actually a well curated and well put together documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, while while so much of the credit just goes to the two guys on the cover just for being, uh, credit to Chris Smith as a as a filmmaker as well. And you like movies that are about making movies. I think I remember that right. Yeah, you, you could say that. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's enough about American movie. Uh, Brad, ball is to you, sir. What you got? All right. Well, I will mention uh, a movie that was inspiring for me. This movie inspired me in many ways. It's a film from my childhood that I watched countless times. No, this one, maybe I watched it at too young of an age. Maybe. I mean, this one wasn't. The worst movie. That's not the worst one I watched at too young of an age, but maybe like, might have watched this one a few years too early. But either way, it's a great movie. It is uh, Arachnophobia with uh, my boy Jeff Daniels 
Now, I was wondering if something like this was going to happen. Are we going to have a... Yes, yes, yes. On, on DVD. Sealed DVD. Oh, oh sealed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, proceed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I will say with the Blu-ray, uh, because it is a uh, owned by Disney, I believe it's a Hollywood Pictures film. Uh, you know, the Blu-ray is not the greatest, and unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to get anything much better now, you know, with it being owned by Disney, but whatever, you, you do what you, like, I don't even think there's any special features on here, like, or actually, there's a couple things, production featurette, Frank Marshall, okay, there, there's a few things on here, but, um, I don't know, this movie is just such a fun, like, you just watch this movie, you put it on, and even today I watch it, and it's just like, I squirm through this thing. It is such a gross, creepy, crawly creature feature. So much fun. Um, I just, I think the concept is great as well. The idea of, like, a very dangerous, large, venomous spider mating with these uh, smaller household sm- spiders and taking over a small town. I think it's a great premise, and... Uh, Watching it at a young age probably gave me, like, legitimate arachnophobia. Like, I still do not do spiders. Still can't do them. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely... I've seen it a ton of times. And uh, from the VHS uh, tape that I watched that was, uh, like, taped off of probably ABC Movie of the Week or whatever, through to this Blu-ray, I've owned it multiple times. And it's one uh, I I always like going back to every now and then. Um, John Goodman, great in it. And, uh, yeah, it's just a fun, fun creature feature film. Yeah, I, I adore this movie. Uh, I, I really do. In fact, I've, I've been looking for an excuse to do an episode for catching up on cinema on it. Uh, but now that I know that, Brad, if we do that, I'm going to invite you. Cause oh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know you had the same level of appreciation. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I did see that movie young as well. And, uh, it did freak me out a little bit. Um, but oddly enough, I, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with, with spiders as I've gotten older. Um, and I think it actually has to do with that movie maybe a little bit. Uh, just because I, I liked Jeff Daniels quite a bit when I was young. Uh, I even, I think, dragged my parents to take me to see Fly Away Home. It's like, that? That? <laughs> you, it's like, <laughs> you want to see that? The Transformers and Godzilla Kid wants to see fucking Fly Away Home. It's well, like, yeah, it's got the guy from Speed. <laughs> yeah, I've I've always, I'm, it might be because he's from my home state, but I've always liked Jeff Daniels. No, he's incredibly affable. Um, in recent years, some some of those roles he's been taking, I, like I I don't know that newsroom show was that was not my favorite mostly just because of the way the dialogue was written like that that's not a reflection of the man himself that's just him reading what's coming off the page and stuff but yeah i've always really really liked jeff daniels and and this movie me seeing it early in life was a big part of that that and fucking speed uh which i've I've told the story numerous times is is one of those vhs tapes that my brother would always get really pissed at me about because uh for whatever reason i just couldn't stop watching it and he was like dude you are monopolizing our TV, our very, very precious TV time, which doesn't yeah. come around all the time because dad has a baseball habit. And you know what? There's 162 fucking games a year. <laughs> <laughs> so there's very few hours in the afternoon where there is not baseball. <laughs> um, but uh, arachnophobia is is it's clever. That's what that's the charm of it, because I don't I don't think it's at all scary these days. Like I, it's too fun to be scary, uh, for me anyway. Like I, 
I've actually been wanting to like sit my girlfriend down and see if she could sit through it because she's she doesn't like spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, she really doesn't like spiders, but I think it's a fun movie, and I hate spiders too, but I I adore this movie and I watch it all the time. Um, but what I mean by this being a clever movie is like they have these this parallel narrative going on that it's it's like stupidly cute what they do where it's like oh Jeff Daniels is the new arrival in town as well as the the like South American spider <laughs> like they move into town together and he like shacks up in the house and he like moves in and stuff we cut to the spider like banging it's banging one of the local spiders and making a bunch of baby spiders and stuff mm-hmm. so we keep cutting back and forth and we establish this narrative parallel between the fucking spider and the new doctor from the big city uh, moving to the small town and stuff um yeah john goodman steals the show uh, he had his music cue yeah is is they, great they they were looking at a picture of him when they wrote that uh, <laughs> i i was actually while you were talking i was actually reading who the composer was it's trevor jones who if memory serves i think is the hellraiser guy okay uh, uh, very talented composer and uh, he gets he gets to flex some muscles he has some motifs for like the the big spider and for like the little spiders and of course delbert's theme D- his his name is fucking delbert <laughs> and he looks and acts like a delbert 100 <laughs> percent, yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, i i remember using like one of those file sharing uh services like uh i think it was email i started out on like uh, Napster, of course, and then Kazaa at one point, and I think I got to Emule after all those f- crapped out and stuff, but I think I used one of those to get the uh, the final confrontation track from that movie. Uh, it, basically everything from the wine cellar. Um, really awesome piece of music. It, it's too good for what it is. It's literally a man fighting a spider in the basement <laughs> for like seven minutes, Yeah, but it's like this epic orchestral arrangement. It's It's laughable in concept but when you're in it like when you're invested in the film it's fucking thrilling oh yeah i think it's got a good uh, tonal balance because like it is very fun and funny doesn't take itself too seriously but i i mean i wouldn't say it's scary quote unquote but like the last time i watched it i it's just a squirm movie i was squirming like the the shower scene oh i remember that scared this like scared me as a kid it's a really subtle thing, but one of my favorite moments, and like genuinely suspenseful moments in the movie, is uh, when they're investigating. I think it's the old lady's house, like the the one lady in town who was nice to Jeff Daniels um, after she's passed away. They're looking for the little spider uh, to get a sample of it to like probe it and stuff. And uh, Julian Sands has not arrived in town yet. Ju- Julian Sands is truly bizarre in this movie. He kill he basically kills himself. Like he, why are you futzing with the web? <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, You of all people should know that is not a good idea. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, he he arrives in town and dies in like inside of five minutes. But his assistant is with them, and and there's that moment where they're like turning over all the objects in the house, and they're just kind of like fucking around. The one fat guy's like smacking stuff with a rolled up newspaper and he's also like eating help helping herself to her snacks and then he like sticks his hand inside the like the i don't know the animal crackers box and he like pulls out a, a wad of candy and it turns out there's a spider in there and he like freaks out and he's like Aah! it's dead so he's no danger but the real danger comes when like one of them opens a cabinet or something and a spider like jumps 
and the and the assistant guy makes this noise that I'll never forget. He just goes Ooh. <laughs> like he does like one of these, but he goes like Ooh. <laughs> And uh the suspenseful beat though is Jeff Daniels' reaction to it. Because it's so genuine and I've had it myself. Where you just glued to the wall mm, mm-hmm. and he's just he can't move. He just cannot move. And this little tiny spider's just mean mugging him from the table. And the assistant guy is like I need you to take a step towards it. And he's like, I can't do that. <laughs> like you were asking the wrong person. But it's like it's like when what they say about like heroism where it's like acting in the face of fear basically. Where it's like he gets his hero moment where uh, well at the end he truly gets his hero moment, but right then all, like his big heroic accomplishment is to take a step forward. Yeah. And he actually does it. But like, like right that. afterwards he's like fuck <laughs> like i yeah. hate the world <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> don't touch me <laughs> i also love his uh explanation for why he hates spiders when he was like a young child he woke up and there was a spider on his face yep that is that might be the scariest moment of the movie because like if that happened to me i would probably just never go to sleep again never wake up again i would just be just nothing i would i don't even know what i would do that'd be it's the most terrifying moment i could imagine and see, that's that's what puts the movie over the top in regards to it's not just your basic monster movie or something. The script is far too clever for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like Tremors in that way, where it's like, wow, this dialogue's a lot of fun. <laughs> like, but the but arachnophobia not only is the dialogue fun, the structuring is really tight because that story that he tells to his wife, we call back to that during that final confrontation when the big old. South South American spider is crawling on him, and as he said as a child, I it was on me, and I couldn't do anything. Like I froze, and now he's a grown ass man with a wine cellar, and he's like, "Fuck you, out of my house, mm-hmm. <laughs> nail gun." <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's one of the best kills of a monster. <laughs> oh, it's, good. It, it's, it's spectacular. Good. I'm not even gonna spoil it, folks at home. Just watch the fucking movie. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Now. I- now I might have to leave this one out too. This an audition now. I'm like I'm dying to rewatch these. Has a uh, has your lady seen Arachnophobia? She will not. She uh, nope. she can't. She, okay. <laughs> been like this could be fun. I'm like I don't like spiders either. And just nope. There's absolutely no way. Okay. Well, I'll I'll try to sweet talk mine, I'll, my my gal, and uh, I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. All right. All right. <laughs> but yeah, leave that one out, man. It's due for a rewatch. Yeah. Okay. Well where to go next well i mean this is fucking obvious jesus uh so as as in case you couldn't tell folks at home arachnophobia was kind of a big deal for both brad and i when we were little and to this day um so i may as well follow brad's lead as usual uh and i have another eat em up as a as is the genre title that brad has bestowed upon uh animal attack movies basically Na- nature is metal movies basically um and this is also one that was very, very important to me uh, a little bit slightly later in life, only only by a few years, but also when I was young, like 11, 12. Uh, <clears throat> and it's also an eat em up. Uh, and this would be, and you can't see the title in full because I forgot to pull the price tag off of it. <laughs> um, and this is Anaconda. Ah, yes, yes. On Blu ray for $4.99. <laughs> High roller. <laughs> 
You know, I, I the more I learn about you and I, I learn that we ha- we've had similar childhoods, I feel like. Um, Potentially in terms yeah. of our, our media diet. Yeah, I, <laughs> probably, uh, at least in terms of these kinds of movies. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is a your favorite disc publisher, Mill Creek, uh, which explains the four ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> this was directed by Luis Yosa or Losa. Uh, not a familiar name to me, but of course you can see J Lo, John Voight, and Ice Cube. Uh, what you can't see, uh, folks at home, it's probably very hard to make out. But the uh, the serpent's face there, uh, which is pulled directly from the original theatrical poster. Uh, is a horrendous JPEG of questionable quality. Uh, so there is very noticeable pixelation and blur uh, applied yeah. to the face of the snake. So yeah, uh, they're not work. They, they don't have top men uh, working at Mill Creek for their cover art. But um, yeah, this movie came out in what like ninety seven, ninety eight around there. I want to yeah. say. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things. I rented it on VHS. I got my dad, I think, to to record it so we did the double vcr thing and uh much like speed just i kept watching it over and over i did the same fucking thing for deep blue sea now that i think about it (laughs) um but yeah uh, anaconda for for sure i watched this movie so many fucking times and it's one of those things it's like so many people will tell you it's bad and that's probably because they haven't seen it. (laughs) yeah i i rewatched it it was you know maybe three or four years ago now and i I didn't like think it was amazing by any means, but I still had fun with it. Um, I just I, when I rewatched it, I felt like it felt like we there was not enough. I can't remember if like the the third act or the second act. One of one of the acts felt like weirdly like we jump almost jump over the second act. Like it's just something with the structure of it felt a little weird to me. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about, and. This is a bizarre aspect of this film. So unlike arachnophobia, uh, the script and the structure of, of Anaconda is not amazing. No. <laughs> That's by far the weakest part of it. Um, the weird the weird element of the of the structure of this movie is that there are two snakes. And the one that does all the fucking killing is actually supposed to be like the the lesser of the two snakes. And the big mean snake that shows up at the end is only there for the end. And it gets one kill? Like, John Voight is literally its only kill. Mm -hmm. So it it shows up for the final fucking scene in the movie. Meanwhile, we have this other badass snake that has been killing people left and right. uh, Gets unceremoniously shot in the fucking face at, like, the hour and a half mark of the movie <laughs> and then the this new bigger meaner snake shows up and does a whole lot less so it's like in terms of like payoff it, it really kind of drops the ball in that sense but i think i think the entire third act of this movie may have been like restructured or something i i, yeah. I know very little about the production of this movie but we spend the entire movie on the boat and then the entire th- final like not even act like the last scene of the movie takes place at like this refinery or something uh which houses the final snake and that's literally all that we do there it was like we get we get pyrotechnics and a snake and then the movie ends yeah yeah maybe that's maybe that's what i was remembering it's like yeah that big waterfall sequence caps off the second act and then there's not really much of a third act exactly yeah 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 we we kind of hustle to the finish line basically um, and it doesn't help too that, like I said, that that first snake it gets all the cool shit to do 
because that waterfall there's a reason they put that in the fucking trailer like i don't care who you are that dude from jumanji getting ganked by a snake on a waterfall it's good good. like questionable cgi or not just the just on a conceptual level that's a cool way to off somebody Mm -hmm. it's like oh you thought you was jumping not today (laughs) and honestly you look at the the cast and the characters like pretty good for this kind of movie like you know they're they're all like not that any of the characters themselves are amazing but they're all you know varied enough and interesting enough that you compare this to like some of the really bad eat em up films and this is it's definitely upper tier i would say you know not again not an amazing film but there's enough where i'd say i think it's a good movie yeah i like that they continue the long-standing tradition of putting eric stoltz in heavy makeup <laughs> that just seems to be a requirement for any role that he takes <laughs> um in this one he gets unceremoniously ejected from the film <laughs> like in the first 20 minutes uh he gets a tracheotomy and gets put to sleep and then he comes back for a second only to get another throat injury and put back to sleep but then he's okay by the end so he yeah. survives but he is not present for the film no. for the film even though he's kind of being framed as the main character which actually is kind of a kind of a cool twist because yeah it, if you just look at the people like on an aesthetic level, you know, late 90s, like horror movie, monster movie, what have you, you would expect Eric Stoltz, you know, to make it to the end. It's like, oh, we need our breeding pair. That's horror. It's monster movie traditions like J-Lo and Eric Stoltz. Sure. Why the fuck not? It's like, no, <laughs> it's like you didn't realize Ice Cube was in this movie and much <laughs> and much like uh, <laughs> LL Cool J. I want to say Ice Cube is mostly unkillable in hollywood like ll cool j is confirmed immortal like he just cannot be killed in cinema ice cube i want to say has been offed at least once i can't i've never seen a movie where he died but like yeah it i i want to say he he is close to unkillable ll cool j i'm pretty sure is actually immortal though yeah yeah i'm gonna have to do uh some research on that potentially but yeah uh, sounds about right yeah, but but like I said, it's kind of fascinating that they, you know, it's kind of a bold move to have, you know, the the basic white guy, the the, you know, peanut butter sandwich on white bread, like excuse him from the film. It's like in favor of J Lo and Ice Cube. It's like yeah, so, mm-hmm. and then you know make sure to kill Owen Wilson early because you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, it was it was early career Owen Wilson. I mean, The Haunting told us that yeah we're not ready to spend a whole movie with you bud <laughs> like give it a few more years we'll we'll warm up to you but for now you you got to go <laughs> but again i like his character in the film how he kind of like sides with the villain of the movie like that's pretty good like he's not like a bad guy but he's like siding and like you know taking the stance of the villain and you know helping him out like that's i don't know that's, there's some interesting stuff in this film that's better than you would expect yeah um I don't know if I'd call it better than you'd expect, but John Voight is the one thing we've been talking around because <laughs> I don't think this performance is good. No, but he made, he made choices and he committed to them, which I can appreciate. Baby bird. Baby, <laughs> Baby bird. bird. <laughs> Baby bird. Uh, I like when he flips the bird while showing his scar. He's like, yeah. Eh. <laughs> Yeah, the surprisingly limber Jean Voight. Yeah. <laughs> because the way he offs that baby bird, man, that guy's got hops. Like He got like a vertical leap of six feet. <laughs> and am I remembering wrong or 
I this could be me just totally misremembering, but is Danny Trejo the first kill of the movie? Is he the in, on the boat? He is. Okay. Yeah. I don't think what a he cast. Has a what a yeah. cast. It, it's a solid cast. I think literally <laughs> the only guy who is not recognizable in the entire cast is Ma- Mateo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, I remember because Ice Cube spends roughly the first third of the movie just yelling, Mateo! <laughs> hey, Mateo! <laughs> um, yeah, that guy is the only truly expendable character in the movie. Yeah. Like everybody else is actually a character before they die. Like even Owen Wilson, like you said, he does a thing. Like he has a pivot moment, and then Carrie were a, a gal from Sliders, a Baby Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, she like goes into like a depressive state after he's offed. By the way, the 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 eye and the mouth uh, indents in the snake's uh, gu- gullet when uh when it swallows Owen Wilson. That was. <laughs> Now, taking some creative liberties with the anatomy of snakes, but I I, I dig it. You gotta <laughs> think that we're just like we gotta do it. We gotta do it, right? I like, mean, come on. If you're go- if you're gonna be cute in a movie called Anaconda, fuck it, let's just do it. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the I love the the wink uh, when John Voight gets <laughs> spewed. <laughs> when when I was younger, I thought that was the scariest part of the movie. I was never scared of Anaconda. I think, this, <laughs> truth be told, Brad, I think the scariest part of Anaconda is uh, when the the wasp goes down Eric Stoltz's throat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When he he's like diving and uh, he's he's uh, untangling the the prop of the boat, and then he starts like thrashing around in his diving suit, and then they have to do the tracheotomy on him, and then they pull a giant fucking bug out of his throat. Like that sequence was was the high point of the terror. That is Anaconda. The rest of it's just stupid fun. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. wait. One of the funniest parts in the movie, Brad, when uh, I don't know the actor's name. It's the it's the guy from Jumanji, British fella. Is it uh, John Reese Davies? Is that right? No, I... John Reese Davies is three of this man, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I think it's a close name. It's similar. <laughs> John Reese Davies. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Jonathan that... Hyde. Jo- so well, I wait. got the J. I was, you know. Wait, they do they do hit the the last snake with an axe. So if John Reese Davies just bamfed in from out of nowhere and said, "And my axe," <laughs> that would be a good way to end the movie. Oh yeah, okay. Now okay, yeah. All right, yeah, all right. Yeah, now yeah. I remember who John Reese Davies is. <laughs> he, he's a large, jovial man. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that guy. When uh, there's a bit. Right, like before he dies, where where the first snake is harassing them, and it like pops up in front of him, and it barfs a monkey in his face. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> in slow motion, and it, it hits him, and he goes, ah, <laughs> like it's the worst pain he's ever experienced. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah, good pick, man. Good pick. God damn, Brad, we're picking all the best ones today. Love it, love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was my pick. So, Brad. Uh, what you got, sir? All right, this one is a little bit of a, a you know a le- left turn. We're going a little bit a little bit different than our last two. Um, and this is a film I've only seen once, and I actually don't think I've watched this uh, disc, which I need to uh, rectify. But it's from one of my I don't I don't know if I want to say like all time favorite filmmakers, but certainly one of my favorite filmmakers working today. It's uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is the filmmaker, and it is okay. Alps. Oh. which I believe was his follow-up to Dogtooth, which I'm a big fan of Dogtooth. 
This one, I don't think it's as good. Um, but again, I've only seen it the one time. And his films, a lot of time, you know, sometimes you need to rewatch because they are very uh, hard to, uh, you know, make sense of sometimes and process exactly what they're trying to get at. Basically, this one, and it's kind of like Dogtooth where you're kind of just thrown into this world and it's not like explained in any way you kind of just has to have to pick up on what is happening it follows a group of people who basically their profession is that they are hired by people who have had somebody who's passed away and they go and basically just pretend to be that person to help these people through the grieving process and so it gets into some very weird and uncomfortable sequences and, uh, yeah, it's, there's not really much plot to it. It's kind of just like a lot of vignettes from what I remember. But again, it's feels if you've seen a Yorgos Lanthimos film, you can kind of picture how the dialogue is delivered, how just dry everything is. Um, but it's a, it's a real interesting film and, uh, it was put out by Kino who I think also put out, um, I can't remember the name of his other, I think his first film. I don't remember what the name of it was, but Kino put out another one of his films that I, that one I have not seen. And I actually haven't heard great things. Kineta, Kineta, I want to say, where am I at? K down here, JJ up here. No, down there, <laughs> somewhere down there. <clears throat> Maybe do I not have it? Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there it is. There See, it is. Okay, this I got this it. is why we stick to one letter at a time. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's back there, but I've heard, I haven't heard great things about that. But uh, this one, it's good. It's not like top tier Lanthimos. I'd actually maybe put it in, in bottom tier. But it's uh, if you're a fan of his, definitely worth watching. Okay. Uh, I actually hadn't heard of that. But just on a strictly conceptual level, that sounds really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, and I more than likely am. Was this the fellow that did The Lobster? Lobster, um, The Favorite, yeah. Favorite. and yeah. Killing of a Sacred Deer are his... Uh, English language films, I want to say. Okay. I think uh, so that's all of them. I think the only one of his films I've seen uh, is The Lobster, uh, mm-hmm. which is a which is the lost episode of Catching Up on Cinema, recorded mm-hmm. but not published. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, both my brother and I, I think we uh, we found it strangely funny, like like actually like kind of hilarious, but like you oh, said. Yeah in a very very dry way but yeah i did actually thoroughly enjoy it but maybe not in the way it was fully intended to be (laughs) but but you know good filmmaking experience and uh i can tell very very good filmmaker um i actually very much want to see the favorite i've heard i've heard it's very very good it is very good i would say it's out of his films it's kind of the least like lanthimosy of his films because he actually didn't write that one from what i'm remembering um so it's got his like visual style but like this one he co-wrote with i think he's all of his other films he co-wrote with the same person um except for the um the the favorite so that one does feel like a little bit of an outlier like it still definitely feels like his film um but it's not quite as high concept i guess as some of his other ones but uh it it is very good and I, i haven't seen one of his films that i dislike um but yeah i'm i'm a big fan of the guy Okay, uh, I I think Kyle has seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, and he had he had very good things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one I'd also like to see, though I'm in slightly less of a hurry, uh, just because it 
sound like I'm going to walk away from that being kind of mad. And, you know, that's not the way I like to feel after watching a movie. Um, but just like I, I have a feeling that's like, I don't know about this. This guy, this guy this is not my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say pretty much all his films are not going to leave you with a good feeling at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, fair fair point but um yeah i'll have to I'll have to keep an eye out for alps because just wow that concept is i could see that being very funny very sad very like every every element of the emotional spectrum could come out of a concept like that and mm-hmm. knowing that it's in the hands of a very very capable filmmaker yeah i i i'm trying to like picture what it's going to be and i'm actually kind of excited to check it out oh yeah yeah i, I would still say um, Dogtooth would be I would recommend very highly I think uh, whether I, whether you like it or not I don't know but it's definitely there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there and it's it's pretty it's pretty fucked up man there's some there's some fucked up stuff in that yeah see it's funny because like I, uh, there's some film critics that I follow that uh, they name drop that movie all the time and they all just kind of chuckle when they do it so I know that movie has a reputation, but I don't actually know what that reputation is. All I know is it's just like a oh, dog tooth. Yeah. <laughs> like it's that kind of movie. So I guess I should put that one at the top of my watch list if I'm in a Lanthimosy mood. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. this is one thing <laughs> I like about uh the Oscars actually is that was nominated for best foreign film uh when it came out and I didn't know anything about Yorgos Lanthimos. I just saw that that was nominated for best foreign film and I happened to see it on Netflix and I was like, Oh, let's give it a shot. I didn't know what I was expecting. And it was just like, Whoa. And then kind of from there I was like, had him on my radar. So I, I kind of had him on my radar before he even made the jump to English language films. Okay. So it was kind of like blind buying or like blind clicking on a movie and discovering it's like, Oh, it's, it's kind of like those, uh, Italian zombie movies where it's like, Oh, it's called zombie three, but in actuality it's a Serbian film or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not about dogs. It is not about dogs. Um, I, I, I would have assumed, but you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, some high art shit by the way who put out that disc i forgot to that was uh kino put it out okay gotcha yeah. um hmm where do we go from here uh eh. let's do something stupid <laughs> okay uh so this is not high art um but this this is a disc that i'm very proud to to own um and I, it's it's autographed. I actually got this signed at a convention. Um, so this is uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd, the movie, um, <laughs> which is directed by this man here, James Rolfe, uh, who is, of course, a prolific YouTube entity uh, from the earliest days of the format. Uh, he managed to get he managed to scrabble together the funds to to make a feature film and committed, you know, several years of his life to making this. It's not high art by any means. Um, the, you know, the acting and the production quality is not exactly, you know, top tier type shit. Uh, but it was just kind of, I have a similar relationship to this guy that I do with Mark Borchardt <laughs> um, and the American movie people. In fact, actually, it was it was uh, Angry Video Game Nerd slash James Rolfe uh who introduced me to american movie 
Oh wow! Uh, because, because in addition to you know being this this character, the ang- the angry nerd and whatnot, uh, he's also like mostly like a horror movie nerd and like a metal music guy and stuff. Uh, so he does a lot of vlogs and things of that nature, just talking about filmmaking, uh, like like kind of out of character, just like normal James. Um, and yeah, he he did a lot of stuff talking about just like movies that inspired him as a filmmaker, like as a person who who went to film school and actually knows how to make a fucking film. Uh, and he cited American Movie as like one of his very favorite movies about making movies, which is largely what inspired me to check it out and i'm very glad that i did but um yeah this was kind of the the culmination of you know years of plying his trade on youtube and whatnot uh it's it's not very good to be, <laughs> to be honest uh but i still follow the guy to this day uh, i find him to be a very affable personality especially now that he has kids and he's like married and he's like getting up there in years and he's mm-hmm. just seems like kind of a cool guy like I, I don't even care about like the, the angry video game stuff anymore. Like that, that's actually been played out for years at this point, to be honest. But just as a personality that exists on the internet, he has a good temperament and a lot of precious insights that you know you can't get just anywhere. Um, and it helps too that uh, Brad he has a insane movie collection that uh, you and I would both be very, very envious of. In fact, I think, yeah. I, sent, I, th- I think I sent you a video of him just doing a, like, he's not on camera. It's just him, like, holding a camcorder up oh, to his Oh, okay, collection. yeah, I think maybe he did. Yeah, he has a museum in his basement, basically, and he actually dolled it up to look like, like a video store, uh, complete with a shitty, like, CRT monitor. <laughs> like, um, That's it's, cool. It's, it, yeah, it's pretty great. And and just as a, you know, film historian, as a as a media personality i i'm glad we have him um so it wasn't asking very much for me to to open my wallet and buy the blu-ray and uh yeah actually i made the pilgrimage down to uh, the portland uh, retro game convention i think it's called i've i've done it a few years now but uh a few years back he actually he's from uh, pennsylvania uh, so he rarely comes out to the west coast or at least the northwest where i'm from um, but he actually was showing up at that one, and I, I made the trip by myself. I was supposed to go with my buddy, but uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> so so I made the trip by myself. I did the most astounding parallel parking job you will ever fucking see, Brad. Nice. Like, imagine the scenario. So you've been driving for two-plus hours. You've had to pee for one of those hours. You didn't stop, though, because you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you get to Portland, where there is a very, very large convention that draws people from all all over the world. You need to find parking now. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, you need parking and a turlet. (laughs) Now. (laughs) Yeah. So what I do is I, I, I see the convention hall, hard left, across traffic, into a parking lot. I find a spot. I, just, I don't stop for nothing. Just like, bam, reverse, parallel park. And then I drape a blank, I no, not a blanket, a jacket over my over my crotch. And I pee in a bottle while sitting in my driver's seat. There's people walking around. And they have no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> hey, you got to do it sometimes. You got to do so, it. So I secured a parking space and urinated in public all at the same time. <laughs> That's a good story. That is a good story. I was, that was, you know, it, it's, you know, 
it's a it's a man moment <laughs> you know like, <laughs> like it's like you know what i've spent like 30 years of my life like dealing with toxic masculinity and stuff but you know what this time it actually paid off <laughs> hey you, you you know it's good that you're still telling people about it you know that that was that had to be pretty epic oh yeah it, it was it was my uh jeff daniels grappling with the spider moment yeah it's like you know what i, I courage is acting in the face of fear and god damn it i was fearful that i was gonna piss my pants and not be able to make it to that convention because i did not have a second pair of pants in that car <laughs> hey you just would have had to put the jacket on and tie it across your waist man i mean that wouldn't have been out of place at that particular convention and i did I, mention it was a retro game convention honestly I? having pissed your pants probably wouldn't have been that out of place either i i bet you wouldn't have been the only person in there with pissed pants yeah there are a lot of ponytails at that convention <laughs> <laughs> that particular breed of nerd comes in two sizes too big and too small yeah, and yeah. all of them all of them come packaged with dusters and or ponytails yeah yeah uh, <laughs> i gotta say though i am a fucking dime piece of that convention <laughs> <laughs> yeah well is that why you went you wanted to just like you know like uh show off at all or <laughs> no I, I was i was actually spoken for at the time uh, oh there so, you go there you go yeah yeah so I, I I wasn't there for that. Okay, but, but you know I I'm just glad I didn't piss my pants. But yeah. but yeah, I, I could have shown up and been like, Mister Rolf, sir, I've been a fan of your work for a decade plus. I pissed my pants getting here. Could you please sign my Blu-ray? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, sure. <laughs> it's like join the club. It's like, oh, you you're supposed to be in the other line. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh the oh the line for the guys who pissed their pants getting. Here. <laughs> uh but yeah in case you can't tell uh it is signed uh i think the gold up here is him yeah and then i got uh two guys who are i don't think they're friends of his i think they work for screen wave media which is like some sort of uh production company that they they help like influencers and like youtubers with like editing and, and production of videos and stuff uh, but they've been in a lot of his videos recently. I think it's like Kieran and uh, I forget the name of the other fellow, but they like drew like a dick on him and like, <laughs> drew a beard on the lady and stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I, I I don't have much more to say about that other than the fact that, you know, it. I know it's stupid, like Angry Video Game Nerd. Is, it's, it's not what it was, but uh, it hit me at exactly the right time. Yeah, uh, and and seeing this guy, you know, make stupid videos on the internet at a time when I had ready access to a camcorder and was like in college, and was surrounded by other stupid people that also wanted to make videos on the internet, it was inspiring in that kind of like Mark Borchart sort or Ed Wood sort of way, where it's like, mm -hmm. you know what, we could do that too, and so it's like it's not like anything amazing came out of it, but it, it was just kind of cool having a guy out there like actually doing it and doing it pretty well because he's he's still out there he's still making money and i think he's writing a book right now that i will read cool yeah 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 no for sure i i, I definitely get that and w like was that blu-ray like put out independently by him i don't know enough about this film to um it says uh it has his his uh cinemassacre logo on it um but then it also has uh skinny ugly pilgrim on it I okay. don't know if that's a distributor. Uh, Screenwave Media is listed on the spine, uh, so okay. maybe they maybe they handled like the publishing rights or something. 
But if he, <clears> if, he <throat> if he if he works with them, I was just gonna say like you know I got to give this guy some credit. You know, like actually putting a Blu-ray out of this thing. Like yeah, no, I uh, I actually bought this like direct from his website basically. Yeah. Like not not Amazon or like anything like that. I actually just bought it straight from his website. And in fact, uh, those Screenwave Media fellas uh, at the card table before I got to him and shook his hand and said all it i decided like he there when i got to the line uh to talk to the guy brad i actually had like a, a interesting little epiphany where i was like holy fucking shit this is a lot of people and so i was like thinking of something like profound to say or something i was like there's no way he's gonna remember me or anything i have to say because he's gonna see thousands of people just today and there's a whole weekend ahead of him <laughs> like and this is just one convention he's done tons of these uh, so really, I said the only thing that would matter, and that just thank you, just mm-hmm. you know, thank thanks for all the thanks for all the entertainment and the inspiration over the years, and that, yeah. that's literally all I could say. It was just like, could you sign my thing? And thanks a lot for doing what you do. Um, but yeah, uh, it was fascinating. I, I've I've never been an autograph guy. Like it's never really meant much to me, but uh, this time it did. And that was that was an interesting thing to do. It, it made it especially profound because I had to do the whole thing alone, um, <laughs> which made uh, peeing in the front seat a little bit more manageable, but the rest of it a little bit more intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, I think it sounds like it was worth it. But yeah, the, the guys at the card table ahead of him, they, they did actually comment on, on the Blu-ray because I guess pe- you could buy the movie at the desk, like right before you saw him or something. Mm. And they, okay. they commented, they're like, yours is different like like yours is like the super duper special edition i was like because it's old <laughs> like, it was like oh because i brought mine from home and like it's a different printing of it apparently oh, okay that yeah. i i didn't know any of that but like they did comment on it like you something's wrong here <laughs> like is this like some bootleg or some shit it's like no actually it's just old <laughs> yeah yeah they were they were hoping to trade Maybe they're like, all right, I could, I could sell this on eBay. <laughs> yeah. When you started that pick though, you kept saying like, this is not high art. And I was like, I mean, we're going from Anaconda to, I mean, what, what could be next? I really did not know where you were going to go. Cause you didn't give the not high art disclaimer to Anaconda. So I was like, this has got to be something. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, yeah. Angry video game nerd, the movie that's, that's about where I was expecting you to go from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the fun of doing the show with you, Brad, is uh, something that we we probably should have disclosed up top, but we just didn't, um, is that I think you and I are, are more keen on picking things that mean stuff to mean stuff to us, yeah. uh, as opposed to just like flexing or, or picking the thing that people know. Because mm-hmm. like, I have all the Avengers movies back there. I have Aquaman. I, I don't care to share those with you guys because it, like, a lot of cat, a lot of people that don't even have movie collections have those. Yeah, it's like what, what more could I say about those? It's like no, and, and like I said, I didn't have to disclose it. I didn't even mention it before we started recording, and yet we have all these kind of off the wall picks <laughs> that it makes for much better commentary. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, to be honest, yeah, if, if we were going to show off like yeah, Avengers, Aquaman, I mean, the next for B, like you know batman begins or something although i mean it'd be fair to pick a batman movie i'm not saying we can't pick a batman movie but yeah you know, <laughs> it is just, batman <laughs> yeah yeah but you know what i'm saying just like yeah the obvious stuff it's like that's not interesting at all it's I mean, it's just it's not bad it's just not as interesting as i think it 
would be to just pick the things that mean more to you personally. Maybe, I, I don't know how it would, uh, m- maybe you'd reach a wider audience that way. I don't know, but uh, certainly. Yeah, because that's, that's totally why I do this. <laughs> I, I would not be proud of the result if uh, we were going with that, uh, those kind of films. Nothing against More them, people but, yeah. need to know about my parallel parking and peace story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that's enough of that um i i said way too much about that so brad it's your pick what you got well let's go with this let's go with this now this might be controversial i don't know this is uh one that so technically well i'll just say what it is it's the uh american horror project volume one now technically i don't now this is why i don't know if it's allowed because the three movies that are within it do not start with the letter A, but I would file this under A because the set is the American Horror Project. So I think, uh, in the words of the immortal Mills Lane, I'll allow it. There we go. All right. Because, right. <laughs> you know, if it's uh, just like a random, like, Universal Pictures four movie set without a name to it, then that, well, that's where that gets into a whole thing. Like, how do you alphabetize that? Do you go with the first one listed on the spine? Do you go with the reason you bought that four-movie pack? That's why I try to avoid them at all costs. But this one at least has a name that I can put under. Put it under A. Um, this is an Arrow release. Now, there is already a volume two of this, and this one right here is the standard edition. So I believe the limited edition that I did, did not get had basically like individual cases for each of the three movies. I think everything else is exactly the same. Same... Same um, discs, same movies, same features. And you can actually buy these movies individually if you so desire, if you only wanted one of them. But the three movies are uh, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, The Witch Who Came from the Sea, and The Premonition. So, I don't know. Like, I, I think this is a nice set. Um, it's a little, like, kind of confusing, like, what the American Horror Project is. Like, I still don't really get it from arrow like with my uh recently purchased vinegar syndrome homegrown horrors set feels kind of similar but that one definitely makes sense homegrown horrors it's regionally made indie horror films that makes sense to me this one just says like okay i'll just i'm just gonna read the, the first paragraph i'm just gonna read you what they say it says everyone knows the classic american horror films night of the living dead the Texas chainsaw massacre and a nightmare on elm street to name but a few but we want to tell you a different story a story of the unsung heroes of stars and stripes terror films that have remained on the fringes of the genre either through lack of availability or else sheer obscurity this is where american horror project comes in so I guess it's just lesser seen horror films that they're kind of just branding as the American Horror Project. Um, but I've only seen one of these films, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, which was an interesting watch. Very kind of surreal, uh, dreamlike, and again, very, you know, low budget, uh, kind of a forgotten, like, 70s drive in horror film. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I like when these boutique labels are putting out these horror movies that I've never heard of and you watch them and a lot of the time there's some really like they say on the back of this box unsung gems like stuff that you know when you watch enough horror movies and I guess with any genre you kind of like you know you hit the main players and you know some people they just keep re-watching those main players and that's kind of all they do 
and that's fine. But I don't know. Me, I've kind of been having a real good time with Arrow, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, Scream Factory to a certain extent. Them putting out these movies that I'd never heard of, and I pick them out just through uh, either the quality of the release or they come out on Blu-ray and people uh, talk about that they're actually good and worth checking out. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a good way to expose yourself to more of these forgotten films. So, yeah, um, American Horror Project, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, I would say I'd give it a, you know, a fairly decent rating from what I remember. Um, I do want to check out the other two. Probably we'll hopefully get around to it soon. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool release. It's a pretty cool release. No, it's a handsome package. And it, it's it sounds like. I don't know. Maybe your your relationship with horror is kind of similar to mine with martial arts films. I was I was almost gonna say I would like I would assume that's how you are in in that way. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you know you like to liken it to music or something. It's like you have your Rolling Stones, you have you know your Beatles, you, you have your Led Zeppelins, you have your big big names out there. But if you listen to that enough times and you get interested in the the art form enough, you find yourself starting to like dig for the the also good things that maybe maybe aren't as well known and you know your your personal palette is a a very strange thing like it's really interesting when you start to introduce new elements to it because a lot of times you find that you you do end up liking a lot of new things that get served up to you it's just a matter of actually ingesting those things like Mm -hmm. and uh, i've talked to you so many times about like the early days at least for me in uh, movie collecting where so much of the fun of movie collecting for me was always the hunt like like i i really remember having to dig and like actually have to put in some fucking legwork just to get the movies that i was interested in because they were known to me but oftentimes off limits or out of reach um and it sounds like that's kind of like what a lot of these boutique labels are are doing for for guys like you Brad or it's just like they're unearthing these these kind of like like off the beaten path horror titles it's like you know what these are actually very very good it's just they're not well remembered or 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 they're underseen or something yeah for some reason they may have been shelved before they came out or they were just dumped on video and just you know you never never heard of them never saw them and these boutique labels realize that they can you know put out these movies uh and you know the rights to these smaller forgotten films are not going to be as high as Mm -hmm releasing a really you know well-known horror franchise which maybe would sell more but with these forgotten films they can put them out on disc probably to interview the people i, I mean we're probably talking chump change they're probably begging for people to do it, like talk to them about these movies so you can really do special features do them right and uh put them out in a really handsome package and i, I love arrow arrow's been doing a great job with that in fact, I'd have to pull up their uh, most recent releases, but there's a black and white Japanese horror film that um, they're putting out, I think, in September, and it sounds awesome. It's like a fairy tale esque horror movie, but like looking at some of the images, look genuinely very creepy, and again, like a movie never on my radar. Like I think they said first time on disc in the U.S. or maybe first release ever in the U.S. Just like just cool stuff like that, I'm I'm all about it. Yeah, I mean, Arrow is not one of those publishers that I have a whole lot from, but they are one that like so many of the titles they they announce. I'm like, man, 
I would totally watch that if only it was cheaper and if only I didn't already have so many other fucking movies. <laughs> but yeah. I'm continually impressed by their catalog. Like they 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 get some really great stuff. And uh, I will say this much: uh, one of the few discs I have of theirs is RoboCop. And if they had fucked that up, I would have been sorely upset because that is probably top three favorite movies for me. Um, but no, they they knocked it out of the park. They did a very fine job with it. But um, just based on the description, I was reading it uh, while while you were. Uh, I, I looked up the back of the box while you were reading the back of the box. <laughs> um, just based on the description, the witch who came from the sea actually sounds the most intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah, it it sounds like it's probably a little bit trippy, but I also just kind of like that title. Like, it sounds cool. It is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think the the main reason I started with the Carnival of Blood one was uh, just because it was the first disc in there. So. Yeah, I I definitely think I would uh, probably. I mean, if it's if they're at the same quality as that one, I'm very excited to check out the other two. Um, and that Arrow release that's coming out that I mentioned, the Japanese film, it's called The Snake Girl and the Silver Haired Witch. So I am um, pretty excited about that one. Okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, that's a striking title for oh, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Brad, I think I'm going to make this one my last pick, and then you want to do a speed round? That, yeah, that'll work up? for me. Okay. Well, uh, what's it going to be? Uh, Choose wisely. You know what? Um, it's not exactly thrilling or anything, but this, like, this movie actually did mean a lot to me when I was very, very young. Um, younger than any of the other movies we've talked about, actually. Interesting. Uh, so, I'll, again, this is a DVD. So, uh, you know, take your uh, Pepto-Bismol, Brad. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a DVD from Warner Brothers of uh, the Advention, the Adventures rather of Robin Hood. Okay. Starring Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, who uh, I believe... I believe Kyle looked up and I think she was still alive until like we did an episode on her. I remember and, that. Yeah. 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 He, ha- he has a thing about women from like the thirties where it's like they either die like five minutes after their acting career dries up or they live to be like a hundred. And she was the latter. Uh, she mm-hmm. lived very, a very long life, but, uh, and she also was in uh, several movies with Errol Flynn, but uh, we have not reviewed this film for catching up on cinema. We did uh, captain blood instead uh, for uh, like black and white month, I believe it was. But uh, this movie uh, means quite a lot to me. Uh, I saw it when I was very, very young. Uh, it was like one of my dad's friends or somebody. Uh, he also showed me a Rodan, uh, Rodan, uh, the giant red pterodactyl from the Godzilla movies. It was that movie and and Robin Hood. The two of those came from that one guy. But uh, this is from like 1938, I think, and it is in full color. Uh, very you know vibrant color for the 1930s um but it's it's a a, like an episodic tale of like all the greatest hits of like the the robin hood legends so you get to see like him fighting with both staffs with little john Uh, you get to see him harassing friar tuck and then recruiting him now you get to see uh guy of gisborne and the sheriff of nottingham being shit heels because it's literally all they do (laughs) um you get to see him uh kill a 
like a stag in the in the prince's forest and then drop the stag on their dining room table while they're eating just to say fuck you to the man <laughs> <laughs> because he's robin hood god damn it um and like there's frequent breaks where it's like the story plays out almost like a like a serial i guess like a series of serials where there's actual like like text cards that pop up in between scenes like saying and then a whole bunch of shit happened that wasn't very interesting so we did film it um <laughs> and that's from the late 1930s so like all the acting is like haha like everybody everybody's doing there's too much joy in this movie to the point that it's almost absurd like everybody's wearing tights and everybody's <laughs> like everything's big and acting <laughs> like it's very over the top um but, you know, goddammit, Errol Flynn, you put a sword in his hand. I guess he wasn't an actual fencer, but he was a damn good athlete for, for back in the day, man. Like, he could he could swang a sword. And uh, there are some fantastic sword fights in this movie. Uh, the finale between him and Guy and Gisborne is a fucking astounding sword fight. Like, oh, it, nice. it is It is undercranked a little bit. Uh, do you know that term, Brad? I'm assuming that's uh, they would slow it slow it down while filming, and it would speed up faster when they yeah, played it, it back. It's, yeah, it's what a lot of like action and martial arts movies do. Like like Jackie Chan movies, they're they're undercranked. Yeah, for for safety reasons, obviously. <laughs> but yeah. but it, it's kind of noticeable. Like e- movies of that era just kind of had that like herky jerk quality to them anyway. But this movie doesn't have that except for when they're like you know exchanging blows and stuff. But you know, it's a, it's like a Warner Brothers production from back in the day. Big sets, fancy costumes, lots of phony British accents, and some real ones. <laughs> and one one Aussie pretending to be a Brit. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a good time. Like it's it's a it moves. Like for for a movie of its age, it doesn't feel like it. Um, and I I just remember really being into Robin Hood when I was a kid. Anyway. Um, just because it's, he's one of those folk heroes that even if you don't know a damn thing about him, you at least know his outfit. And it's like, oh, it's the guy that wears green and the, the hat and the, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like embedded in the culture. And um, of course, the, the Disney one as well. I grew up watching that too. Mm-hmm. So it was like I would bounce back and forth between the two. I think I preferred this one. Although the other one had... Robin Hood and Lil John run through the forest. <laughs> Which of course would become the hamster dance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I gotta say this one, Brad? <laughs> I have not seen it, but uh honestly, that's pretty cool that like at a young age you were watching a movie from that era. You know, like I mean, maybe like the like old Disney movies, like Disney animated movies. Maybe I was watching those as a kid, I guess. But you know, a live action movie from that era, I think that's you know that's pretty good to like watch it at such a young age. I think I kind of wish I would have maybe watched some older stuff at a younger age, and uh, I don't know, maybe just like psychologically, it would maybe make you more willing to go back to that era nowadays. Which I'm, you know, I'm more than willing to go back to that era nowadays, but. You know, at least, you know, people that I knew growing up would never watch a movie that old. You know what I mean? Like, well, things like this, what part of what's kind of fun to look back on it is, is, is that I was so young that I, I didn't have that, that sense of critique in me where it's just like, if if it's on the TV and it's good, I'll like it. Like, I'm not thinking in terms of what year it's from. I'm not, I don't care what celebrities are in it. 
that's why i always think it's funny about like the the voice casting for all those like modern day animated movies because it it really wasn't a thing uh, until like our generation basically that the stunt casting of celebrities for for like disney and dreamworks movies became a became the norm like it is a way to sell the movie and and makes sense when mom and dad are the ones buying the tickets not the kids but it's a weird way to sell the product because like all those older disney movies it's like yeah they had like one or two noteworthy celebrities in there but usually it was just like their their core cast of like strong vocal performers that could do whatever like jim cummings or whatever that's just Mm -hmm. like bring him in just have him do the whole movie (laughs) just just have him do the whole movie he's a he is a disney employee for life um but yeah i wasn't i didn't care like who was in the movie i just cared if it was fun yeah um and also my my parents are a little bit older uh than a lot of my contemporaries so maybe that had something to do with it too and i don't know like I think it's kind of it's probably a good thing to to get your your kids exposed to more antiquated like hokier movies at an early age because it makes it more palatable as they grow older because I've I can't I can't tell you how many times I've mentioned like how obsessed with Godzilla I was when I was a kid not exactly highbrow cinema not exactly top of the line special effects quality like even in the late 80s when I was born but that's what I was watching like that's what I liked was those Godzilla movies from the sixties and seventies. Cause we didn't really get any more of those until years down the line. Um, but yeah, Robin hood was, was special to me when I was very young. And I guess, I guess I feel fortunate to have seen it when I was young. Cause as I said, like all the hokier elements of it didn't feel that way. It was just like, Oh, it's, you know, it's Robin hood. That's Robin hood's a happy guy. Even when he's stabbing people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds good, man. I'll have to check it out. I mean, like you're inspiring me. I'm not gonna let my kids watch anything made before or made after the year 1960. Like that's the cutoff. Sorry, kids. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. My my friends and I have had this conversation where it's like, you know what, man? When I have kids, they're gonna be. I turned into Mark Borchardt for a second. <laughs> when I have kids, man, they're gonna grow up with a Nintendo. Not a Switch, man. They're going to have like an (laughs) 8-bit Nintendo. (laughs) Yeah. And they're going to graduate up to a Super Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday they'll get a GameCube. (laughs) It's not bad parenting strategy. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like graduate them like every couple years or something up to the next system. So it's like when when they're a teenager, they'll have what all their friends have. (laughs) Yeah. And they'll be so far behind the times. And they're... uh, I don't know, all the uh, muscle memory that comes with, you know, handling a modern-day controller just won't be there, so they'll suck at everything, uh, thereby dashing any hopes of them becoming esports famous. <laughs> it's like, way to go, Mom and Dad. You ruined potential cash cow opportunity by yeah. crippling your kids' video game development. They'll blame you for it, too. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Yep, yep. It's like, man, it's the only thing that matters in 2050 or whatever, and you crippled me. <laughs> Way to go, Dad. <laughs> like, so- sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's about all I had to say about Robin Hood. So, Brad, I want to get set up for a speed round here. Yeah, I've only got like a few here that are, are noteworthy. Um, I'm not going to go like through all my A's. So I got a few here, not a ton, but... Like you said, I'm not I'm not going to mention every Avengers movie I have or something like that. So, okay. Well, uh, if you only have a few, may as well go first, Brad. All right, I will uh, kick it off with uh, 
adaptation, uh, the uh, uh, Spike Jones Charlie Kaufman film. Uh, this is a shout select disc. Honestly, the disc is not that great. Uh, I think the original disc was like out of print, and so this is basically just the same disc from what I understand, like same transfer, no new features, just basically slapped with a shout select thing on it. But it is a great film, so it's it worth is. mentioning. It really is. That. Um, got a 4K here of Annihilation. Um, I do like uh, Alex Garland a lot. I don't think like I, I've loved anything he's done yet. Like I, I really like Ex Machina. I really like this. I really like Devs, but um, I'm still waiting for, like on his like actual things he directed. Um, but I don't know. I think uh, I'd like to see him go back to Danny Boyle again. The two of them to work together. I think that could be that could be interesting. Maybe that's maybe that's what they both need. I don't know. Um, another 4K here. This one. Ad Astra, the uh, Brad Pitt film, which I think I liked more than most people. I actually really like, uh, what's his name, the director, uh, James Gray. I haven't seen all of his stuff, but I was really impressed by this, really impressed by The Lost City of Z, and I love that this is like a sci-fi film, but it's just so, like, spiritual, you know? It, it's it's not a, it's a, not a science fiction film, it's a spiritual fiction film almost like spiritual and just like the emotional sense it reminded me very much of like a terrence malick film um so i i really like that the moon sequence is amazing and <laughs> i've then, heard uh, you mention that on the cinema speak podcast before any chance i get i, I will mention i, I noticed that, that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one uh that i'll mention is the uh scream factory collector's edition of army of darkness which um probably out of the the trilogy is my least favorite, but I still really like the film. And this is a pretty great package. Uh, it's three discs. You've got the theatrical director's cut and international cut. Um, lots of features. I will say there was a um, like a disc issue with one of the cuts. I can't remember. They did have to do a replacement program, which I'm hoping I got that remedied. There's been there's been so many replacement programs going on. I can't I can't even keep them all straight. I can't even keep them all straight. I'm just gonna assume that i fixed it and uh like i don't even remember what cut it's on but anyway uh it's yeah great package other than that and uh it's a it's a fun film so yeah always always worth uh watching every now and then yeah i i haven't seen uh ad astra but i i heard it was visually astounding um Mm -hmm. i i did hear there's some hokiness uh in the story like uh say what you will about that but i did not know it's the same director as the uh, lost city of z yeah yeah uh, i'll have to tell kyle that because i don't know if he's seen ad astra but that man has a space boner five miles long um kyle pops kyle pops hard for space stuff yeah um especially hard sci-fi um and he loves the lost city of z so if well, he hasn't seen ad astra uh he probably should yeah, it's definitely not, like, hard sci-fi and, like, I don't know. It, like I said, it doesn't really focus on much of, like, the science element of it. it. It is very much just more of a, you know, the idea of having to go to space to get over your daddy issues kind of thing. But, okay, uh, so Kyle's just like, meow. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like Lost City of Z, I think they're, I think they're pretty similar films. Okay, um, well, he has told me numerous times that he really was impressed with lost city of z so that's 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 something i'll have to remind yeah. him that ad astra does indeed exist I, I, for whatever reason i feel like that movie was underseen when it came out it, it does seem like it yeah 
It um, doesn't get talked about very often. No. And I do want to see uh, We Own the Night, which is another James Gray film. That one's got Joaquin Phoenix in it. I've heard I've heard there's a really good car chase in that one, so I do want to check that out. Oh, I think I've seen a clip from that. Is it in okay. the rain? I, I haven't seen it, but I... I, I think I know the sequence you're talking about, but... Um, Army of Darkness, Brad. Quick, what's your favorite bit? Like, favorite sequence, favorite moment, anything. Oh, God. Um, TikTok, uh, TikTok, TikTok. Probably just the whole, uh, <laughs> this is my boomstick sequence, I guess. Okay, mine is when Evil Ash, uh, I don't even remember what precedes it. I just remember Evil Ash, who is, of course, portrayed by Bruce Campbell mm-hmm. in makeup. It's just his line delivery is it's astounding because like, I don't know how many takes this took. They probably just did one take and it's like, we're done. No more takes needed. You just you nailed it. He, it's just him. It's just him going, oh, oh. <laughs> I think I know what part you're talking about. I think it's, I it's, that. He's appalled. He's just like, oh. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, old woman clutching her pearls, but it's Bruce Campbell in zombie makeup. Yeah. It's, See, out out of the three, this is definitely my least seen of the three because I feel like I like the other two are good like around Halloween time, I want to watch them. And this one's not really like Halloween watch movie necessarily. So I kind of like, sometimes I'll just watch the first two and I never swing around to Army of Darkness for some reason. But it, it is a lot of fun. I do like it. Yeah. No, I, I like all of those movies. Uh, actually, I hadn't seen the first one until we did it for Catching Up on oh, Cinema. Yeah, uh, there you go. Kyle and I did a, a twofer with the remake as well, which is not half bad. Yeah. Um, but be- prior to that too, yeah, that was my favorite. Uh, my brother rented that, and we watched it with my mom, and she thought it was hilarious. Which yeah, that's how you can tell I have a cool mom. That's, that is cool. <laughs> that is cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So a uh, speed round to me. Um, I'm gonna try not to throw too many titles at you because your your stack was a bit modest, and I don't want to be that guy. Uh, okay. So speed round. I have Asura. Uh, the City of Madness, I think, is the subtitle for uh, international distribution. This is a Korean film that, of course, has uh, Hwang Chun-min, uh, who is one of the most prolific actors in Korea, or at least has been in the past decade or so. He famously does like three movies a year or something, and he's also like a top-tier actor as well. This movie has a very, very astounding cast of very good players. I characterize this movie, and this is probably not true, but upon initially viewing this movie, uh, I walked away from it telling myself that might be one of the most violent films I have ever seen. Really? Uh, and not it's it is gory. Like it, there's a lot of blood bloodshed in it. It's pretty nasty, like tooth and nail kind of violence. But it's mostly just the the tone of the dialogue. Like every every line in it is is just like venomous shit. Like just people ripping into each other. Yeah. So in in between like heads getting smashed open and stuff, you get just these nasty people just chewing each other apart with their words, and just the the tone of the dialogue. I don't know if you've ever heard like angry Korean before, but it just turns into <laughs> noises and stuff. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. It's a lovely language to swear in. And they love to swear. <laughs> so let's just say that much. So it's good for angry films. <laughs> say that much. Um, I have Atomic Blund, uh, which is uh, noteworthy because we are probably going to be covering this uh, for Ladies' Night, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the event month we're doing right now for Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, and the uh, 8711 uh, stunt crew worked on this film. Uh, like I've told you this before, Brad. If Daniel Bernhardt is in the cast and takes a punch... 
that's how you know they were involved like uh when i when i saw the trailer for birds of prey i was deeply unenthused about that film but then i saw daniel bernhardt and i was like you know (laughs) that movie might have something going for it but yeah um i don't know i don't know how often this kind of stuff is advertised or publicized but i think we're in the middle of a sea change when it comes to the way movies are marketed because that name 8711 actually does carry some cachet like like if you say that those guys are involved in a production it it elevates the whole production it, it, yeah. it elevates the prestige of that particular production like same with nobody like nobody on on paper and in in the way it was advertised seemed fairly boilerplate and to be honest it kind of is mm-hmm. um but those guys were involved and uh daniel bernhardt and elaine Moosey, uh in that bus sequence that should have been the whole movie just just the bus scene yeah and you you couldn't have you didn't have to do anything else because that that sequence was fantastic the rest of it mm, not so much but parts of that first john wick movie kind of have that feel as well but um it th- those movies always have a weird issue with with the way they stagger their action sequence that sometimes they're either front heavy or bottom heavy it's like it's, it's all good it's just it's you're feeding it at a unsteady drip yeah um, yeah, I think the first, the third one is definitely front heavy. I don't think oh, the first yeah. twenty minutes it never reaches that again. Yeah, no, nothing could either. Um, that, but those first twenty minutes are top tier stuff. Like I'm so happy we have that immortalized on film. Um, but yeah, anytime. Like I want to say that we're going to enter a stage where choreographers and stunt teams and like second unit guys start to get more credit uh, when it comes to advertising products because like that extraction movie which i still haven't fucking seen because it's a netflix exclusive and i don't have netflix um it's directed by sam hargrave who is chiefly known as as a stunt coordinator and that was a film directed by a stunt coordinator um and like and chad stileski stunt background second unit guy choreographer now he's heading up one of the biggest action franchises of the past decades or so uh, I think we're going to see this as a trend moving forward where people other than directors and stars start to like people behind the scenes uh, start to be used to promote things. Yeah. Um, but I also have uh, talk about uh, basic kind of shit. Uh, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is the super duper extended Blu-ray collector's edition, uh, which is 16 minutes longer. It's like the three hour cut of it. None of the added material is good. Um, in fact, I was really disappointed. There's a like a whole hunting sequence where they they take Jake Sully, uh, they take him hunting, and the music that they play over that scene is reused. Like they didn't bother to compose an additional piece of music for it, so it feels janky. Like if mm-hmm. in a in an absurdly expensive looking film, it feels a little jank. Um, but yeah, none of the additional content is really all that worthwhile. But this was one of those movies that kind of like my uh, Dark Knight trilogy set back there, with one with the Hot Wheel in it. Um, I probably would have just bought it the day it came out on Blu-ray, um, just because it was like 2009 or something, and I had had a Blu-ray player for five minutes by then, and anything visually astounding was going to find its way into my collection at that point. For fuck's sake, the first Blu-ray I ever bought was Iron Man 2. Mm. Um, but this one, I remember I like I heard about it, and I held off for like a year or so before I picked it up just because I heard there was an extended edition and it ended up being more expensive for nothing worthwhile. So good job, Trevor. (laughs) Um, I have, I'm cheating a bit here. 
Uh, so this says loud and proud on the cover in English text, Tomorrow's Joe, um, but the Japanese title is Ashita no Joe. Um, same okay. meaning, but uh, there's a poster you can't quite see, but it's right here um, that is actually from this anime. And this mm. is just the uh, movie version of a extensive television series uh, that's about boxing. And I love boxing. Uh, at a certain point in my life, I've really loved anime. Uh, this is actually from like the late 60s. Uh, oh, so wow. It's, it's very old and massively influential. I guess it was so popular that uh, one of the characters died and they actually held a funeral service in Japan for him when uh, when he was killed off in the comics. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a big fucking deal. Um, and a lot of tropes and a lot of like plot elements from from this manga and from this anime get recycled a lot today. Uh, it's massively influential and very, very good. Um, I have Action Jackson uh, starring Carl Weathers. And, like, Carl Weathers to me has always been that guy that should have... I love Carl Weathers so much. And apparently he's done a lot of really cool shit that I haven't seen. And I, I'm one of those few guys who has seen and owns a copy of Action Jackson, which is a good thing. But I haven't seen him on uh, Arrested Development. I think oh, it was he's- you. You told me he was hilarious. He's it. really funny on that show. Yeah, his his whole bit of playing himself and he's like a cheapskate is amazing. See, that makes me so happy because I've always really loved Carl Weathers. Like he is he he's brimming with charisma. Like he, yeah. he captures your attention anytime he's on screen. He delivers every time. It's just he didn't get that many mainstream roles. Um, but it makes me really happy to know that he did that and he was funny. Like he was well utilized as a comedic character and then uh, i guess he's on the mandalorian which i also haven't seen oh yeah 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 he's i guess he's had a bit of a you know resurgence with that show i mean yeah he's people are loving him now because of that yeah it's kind of weird that we have the creed series probably entering its third and final chapter and unfortunately his character is not allowed to be in (laughs) because he's too old and he's dead (laughs) there's got to be some some dream or some vision in the next one like they got to get him in there now that he's on Mandalorian, they're they gotta squeeze him in there somehow. I mean, strike while the iron's hot, man. Like it, it, it makes sense, but I don't know how you would do a flashback scene with Carl Weathers at the age he's at now, and Apollo, Apollo Creed when he's supposed to be like in his thirties or younger, because he was not an old man when he died in Rocky Four. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Uh, Michael. They'll B. probably Jordan, try though. Michael B. Jordan could get hit. And he like dies and goes to heaven and sees his dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what they'll do is they'll they'll like CGI the fuck out of his face yeah. to the point that's like, did you actually need Carl Weathers? <laughs> like, if if you're going to mangle him that badly, did you actually need the man? Just pay the <laughs> pay the fucking licensing fee. Yeah. Like, just let it. Just ask to use his face. Like, he's like, all he has to do is show up, talk into the microphone hopefully do a good job he doesn't really have to <laughs> you can fix that in post too yeah <laughs> but yeah i've always i've always really liked carl weathers and this is one of the very few semi-mainstream action movies that he actually got to himself it's not like predator or something where he had to like share the screen with a bunch of other beefcakes that's a fun one you get a kickboxing craig t nelson as the bad guy really Ooh. like re- really badly doubled by the way yeah like they do a lot they do a lot of like behind the sh- like behind his head shots of just his legs flinging all over the place it's like <laughs> i don't think craig t Nelson. i don't think coach is that limber <laughs> but yeah it's it's a solid 80s action movie it's fine it's not astounding but mm-hmm. uh 
real quick. I'm not even going to go into too much detail about any of these, but uh, the I hinted at this. Uh, also, my Keyway energy drink here. Um, I did mention I had an actor and a director who I owned an unusual number of titles for, and the actor is, of course, if you couldn't figure it out by now, Scott Adkins. Uh, I have, Jesus fuck, six movies, starting wow. with A, featuring Scott Adkins. That so is a just, lot. Six! That is a lot. Six A movies! What the fuck? <laughs> uh, so I'll just run through these real quick. I have one of the very worst movies I have on my shelf, American Assassin. <laughs> I have one of the better Scott Atkins films and one that uh, he produced and had quite a quite a hand in getting off the ground. Accident Man, which is an exceptional Scott Atkins film. Uh, it brings together a lot of frequent players in his more recent filmography, including the choreographer Tim Mann. Um, and it's I think it has a sequel due out soon. Uh, highly recommended if you're interested in checking, like a starting point for Scott okay. Atkins movies. Cool. cool. Uh, I have the worst, like bar none, the worst Jackie Chan movie I own. The Accidental Spy <laughs> on DVD. Neither of these women are in this movie, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> um, apparently, this is a, a studio hack job. Uh, I don't think the original Chinese version of the film is any good either. Uh, but this is a Dimension Films uh, cut, so similar to Legend of the Drunken Master. They mm-hmm. re- they rejiggered the edit of this a little bit yeah, to the point of incomprehensibility. Um, and yeah, neither of these women are in the movie. Uh, it is an anemic action film. There's like one decent action beat in the whole fucking thing. It involves a bus. Not acrobatics, a bus. <laughs> um, and Scott Adkins is in the movie, and... I own six movies just starting with the letter A featuring the man, and I couldn't find him. Oh, really? Yes. I know what scene he's in, but I was like, like maybe like the side of his head was in the shot for like a second or something. It, it's a blink and you'll miss it thing. I think it's his first screen credit. Okay. Um, so he just he's just there to fall down, not even do an action scene. He's just there to like trip and fall. <laughs> but uh, I have another very good Scott Atkins film, Avengement which is from Jesse V. Johnson, who is a guy he's collaborated with as a director for like probably a half dozen times by now. He's kind of like, he's like his his De Niro or his DiCaprio. Uh, that is Jesse and uh, Scott Adkins. This movie, Brad, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but I'm going to send you The Bar Fight. Okay. It is one of the single best bar fights in cinema history. Yeah? It is astounding. That, like, I don't know how well-versed you are in, with uh, Simpsons lore, but there's that meme of uh, the kid watching uh, the little hamburger guy get his ass beat by Homer. Yeah. And the kid's just like, stop! Yeah. Stop! He's already dead! <laughs> there, there, is, there are numerous instances in this bar fight where I think it's mostly Mark Strange, uh, who's also a British stuntman, that just gets the shit end of the stick in the choreography, where it's just like, Scott... He's dead. Scott! Scott! <laughs> like, dude! Like, enough! Like, yeah. He is so dead. Like, all of these people have been killed five times. That guy's seven. Uh, but yeah, uh, please remind me. I'll just send you that clip and five minutes of heaven. If it's as half as good as the title, Avengement, I mean, then it's going to be great. I, I know. It's, it's, it's brilliant in its stupidity. I love it. I love it. I, I honestly do love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I have Assassination Games, which is one of several collaborations he did with Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, this movie has Avengers Syndrome, where it's advertised like they're going to shoot at each other. They only do that at the midway point, and then they join forces. Um, it's okay. It's not great. Um, that's really all I have to say about that. And then the last one is one that I actually held off for a very long time in purchasing because I had a sneaking suspicion it was going to suck. Um, and it turned out to not totally suck, hmm. only a little bit. <laughs> but uh, this is Abduction, which is a sci-fi action film starring Scott Adkins. A little bit of a rarity. It also has Andy Own in it. Um, but the fun trivia factoid of this is that this is a Roger Corman production. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Scott Adkins, the king of direct-to-DVD action, found his way to Corman Studios. That that makes me so happy. That's like, yeah. you know, if you're going to fart around in the industry long enough, you may as well work for the man, like the guy. Yeah. Um, and the, another curious element of this is that there is a producer's cut and a and like a standard cut of it. I... I should have watched the producer's cut just because, you know, Roger Corman's name is attached to it. It's like, you know, the guy knows how to make schlock, and this appears to be schlock. <laughs> like, I, I would trust him to to put his name on the better version of it. But uh, it wasn't good enough for me to watch twice yet anyway, so maybe I'll get to it. But, yeah, I guess that's about it for my speed round there. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that about wraps up. All of the A's. That's the uh, A's. For, yeah, yeah that, that's the A's. Maybe sometime soon we'll do the B's. But yeah, for... one down, 25 more to go. 26 <laughs> include numbers. But Jesus. Um, but yeah, uh, before we sign off here, though, Brad, uh, would you care to let the folks at home let, like, let them know where they can find your lovely podcast and whatnot? Yeah, of course. Well, thanks again for having me, man. I appreciate it, uh, as always. Uh, my show is the Cinema Speak Podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. You can just search for Cinema Speak on there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Cinema Speak, Instagram Cinema Speak Podcast. Uh, you can go on our web page is just cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. And I guess I can say we are on YouTube now. So search for Cinema Speak Podcast on there as well for uh, unboxing videos. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I thoroughly enjoyed that unboxing video. Was, I appreciate was, that. I appreciate. Yeah, that. it was a it was a good time, man. Cool. Uh, cool. Brad did an unboxing of uh, his vinegar syndrome package. Uh, I don't know how many titles you had in there, but it was a it's pretty hefty package, man. It was pretty good. They they stacked it pretty good. They packed it well. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, you're always welcome on the show, Brad. Thanks for helping me out with this. This has been a really awesome project that i'm glad we continue to do from from month to month oh of course yeah uh in the meantime though folks at home if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an instagram at catching up on cinema as well as a twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up there uh, and the show is available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. Uh, so fucking Google it. But uh, that being said, thanks so much for <laughs> joining us, and we will catch you next time.